Want to read or watch the classics and understand what makes them great? If you've ever wondered what makes a particular movie or story so appealing, this show deconstructs storytelling to expose the structure and meaning behind the scenes. My name is Rem Whitcraft, and this is Fiction Briefly. In this podcast, I'll tackle popular films and short stories, which hopefully get you thinking about storytelling in new and interesting ways. My last show centered on Luke Skywalker's contribution to the galaxy, and the origin story for Anakin Skywalker shares themes and techniques with the best of them. But Anakin as a hero fails to measure up in key ways. Audiences on Rotten Tomatoes agree. A New Hope rates at 96% compared to the fandom menace's dismal 56. Maybe it's because we don't meet Anakin until the middle of the movie, or the villain only works behind the scenes. With the comparison of Vladimir Propp's discoveries in mind, I'll analyze where Star Wars Episode I strays from the formula and expose a missed opportunity to create another classic. If you haven't seen it, watch out. Spoilers ahead. Through modern movies like The Matrix and Harry Potter, society has become familiar with stories about the Chosen One. Like Moses and Jesus, these figures are born to be legendary. In psychiatrist Otto Rank's work, The Myth of the Birth of the Hero, Rank lists the common components in a hero's birth. To review, Otto Rank's heroes are all born of royal or supernatural parents. In The Phantom Menace, Anakin's father is not revealed, but somehow Anakin's midichlorian reading is off the chart. Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn believes Anakin was conceived spontaneously by midichlorians, and I won't speculate on other theories. Rank's next distinction for his heroes surrounds their unusual conception. Under normal circumstances, they wouldn't have been born, and Anakin is no exception. His mother claims there was no father, Like Jesus, Anakin's was a virginal birth, but Anakin grew up in slavery without a father figure. He lives with his mother until the age of nine. He grows up without realizing his significant potential until the force is sensed in him by Qui-Gon Jinn. After Qui-Gon negotiates Anakin's freedom, he assures Anakin's Jedi training and encourages him to leave the only family he's ever known. This makes Anakin very similar to Luke and ancient heroes like Oedipus, who are raised by surrogate parents. In the myth of the birth of the hero, the hero spars with a father figure. For this movie, we see a cheeky Anakin remaining in the cockpit of the moving Naboo fighter after Qui-Gon tells him to sit still. Not a huge level of defiance since the ship takes off on its own, but we still get a glimpse of rebelliousness. For this next part of the analysis, think fairy tales and myths where the hero isn't necessarily godlike, but accomplishes a series of tasks and comes home transformed. Last time we delved into formulas discussed by Joseph Campbell and Vladimir Propp in their perspective books. This time the character archetypes are Qui-Gon Jinn and Anakin Skywalker as the heroes, Palpatine as the villain, and Queen Amidala as the damsel in distress. Again, Obi-Wan Kenobi plays the role of helper, with the less compelling Jar Jar Binks given the role of magical donor. I'll compare George Lucas's The Phantom Menace with Vladimir Propp's formula from Morphology of the Folktale, which identifies 31 plot points common with the Russian fairy tale. 
All 31 points aren't necessarily used, but they are always in the same order in the classics. This isn't entirely true for the Star Wars saga, which I'll cover, but the formula still seems to apply. I'll also draw from the hero's journey as covered in Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Who was the hero in Phantom Menace? I'll argue that it's both Anakin Skywalker and Qui-Gon Jinn. Anakin represents the most pivotal character in this and subsequent films in the saga. This is his origin story and his character transforms during the course of the plot. Though Qui-Gon drives most of the action. Which is a smart move because it's hard to stomach a movie carried by the acting skills of a child. In prop structure, absentation comes first. A family member leaves home. The movie begins with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan boarding a Trade Federation ship as ambassadors to Chancellor Valorum. The following plot points appear two steps earlier than prescribed by Prop's formula. The villain makes an effort at reconnaissance needed to fulfill his plot. Senator Palpatine appears to the Viceroy via hologram to get an update on the Jedis. The villain then delivers on part of their plan. Palpatine orders the Viceroy to start landing troops on Naboo and to kill the Jedis to avoid negotiations. After this short detour, the plot is back on track with the interdiction and violation. First, the hero is told to avoid a person or a place. Upon entering the Viceroy's ship, Obi-Wan says the familiar line, I have a bad feeling about this. Which brings us to the violation, where the hero ignores the warning. Qui-Gon rejects Obi-Wan's prescience as anxiety and forges ahead. This gives the agents of the villain the opportunity to act against them. The Jedis are gassed while waiting in a conference room, but they are able to break out and escape up a ventilation shaft. However, their diplomatic efforts are thwarted. Palpatine's blockade remains in place along with his control over the Viceroy. The villain next tries to trick the victim either to capture the victim or steal something valuable. Speaking with Queen Amidala, the Viceroy pretends the ambassadors never arrived. Then a hologram of Senator Palpatine shows up in front of the Queen and he feigns his allegiance before cutting out. Amidala's governor believes the interruption in Palpatine's transmission indicates the start of an invasion. But Queen Amidala remains naive. She doesn't think the Federation would dare go that far. Furthermore, she wishes to avoid war at all cost. This completes the complicity step where the victim is either fooled or forced into cooperation. Next is villainy or lack. The villain harms someone. The Federation army begins their attack on Naboo. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan reach the surface of the planet just as animals are fleeing for safety and must run for their lives. We don't get the lack until later in the film because this involves Anakin who is yet to make his appearance. Then comes the mediation stage. Qui-Gon sees the strength of the enemy's forces which spurs the counteraction. After saving local Jar Jar Binks, Qui-Gon presses him for a safe place to hide. With Obi-Wan they go to the Gungan city underwater. After Gungan city comes the departure. The Jedis travel through the center of the planet's core to get to Queen Amidala. 
In this stage, we see the first function of the donor, which is Jar Jar, who guides them through the core of the planet in a Gungan submarine. The hero is also tested. Through the underwater world, Qui-Gon must navigate the dangers of several large creatures who try to eat them. Now we've reached the hero's reaction where he frees a captive. Qui-Gon uses the Force and rescues Amidala. He cites his Jedi feelings as a reason she must leave Naboo and come with them to Coruscant. The Jedi's battle droids in the palace hangar to board a Naboo cruiser and they take off with Amidala, her handmaidens, Jar Jar Binks, and R2-D2. The rescue is almost complete when they have to make an emergency landing for repairs on Tatooine. Enter the provision of a magical agent. For this movie, Anakin is that agent. His midichlorian level is at 20,000, higher than any Jedi on the Council, including Master Yoda. It's suspected Anakin is the Jedi of prophecy who will bring balance to the Force. And as Qui-Gon says, nothing happens by accident. Their meeting was meant to be. The other bit of serendipity? Anakin and Amidala. Now this is out of order and unconventional because the unrecognized arrival step is not taken by the hero, but it's a pretty important part of the film that Queen Amidala dresses as her handmaiden Padme. She uses this disguise to remain reprised of the Jedi's actions, but it also makes her character accessible to Anakin. Joseph Campbell includes the hero's meeting of a goddess who can be good or evil in his hero's journey. The meeting of Anakin's goddess propels two sequels, so it's got to be memorable. Anakin asks Amidala, are you an angel? Forgetting that this is a bad pickup line and the audience doesn't have a concept of what an angel is in this universe, this exchange breaks the ice and shows a bond starting to form. Continuing with the formula, the hero is guided to an important object. Anakin's pod racer fits this role, as it's necessary for the next phase, which is the struggle between the hero and the villain. This is where following the formula gets tricky, and Anakin takes over as hero and races a new enemy, Sebulba. Qui-Gon has arranged for Anakin's freedom, plus the price of the parts to fix the Naboo cruiser if Anakin wins the race. And good thing he does, because victory falls in line with the formula. In this sequence, we see the piloting skills Anakin becomes known for. He states he's the only human capable of piloting a pod racer, though he's never won or even completed a race previously. He survives sabotage and stays calm under pressure, diverting power to his engines mid-race. After this victory, the initial lack has been erased. Anakin is freed from bondage and has the father figure he's never had. Of course, the downside is he has to leave his mother, who is still a slave. Interesting note, Watto, their master, is seen more as a greedy capitalist than a villain involved with the trafficking of intelligent beings, a subject for another show, so off to the next step, the return. But first, the movie skips ahead a step to where the hero is pursued by an adversary and rescued. Senator Palpatine's Sith apprentice Lord Maul goes after Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan tells the pilot to fly low so Qui-Gon can jump aboard. Notice how we've changed back to Qui-Gon as the hero. The movie will continue to blur these roles as the Jedi's return to Coruscant and consider Anakin's fate with the Council. Aligned with the formula, a false hero soon appears. 
In The Phantom Menace, it's the title character, Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Senator Palpatine, as he pretends to be on Amidala's side and convinces her to vote for the expulsion of Chancellor Valorum. His trickery works this time, and he's eventually nominated for Valorum's position. Again, an unconventional move has the hero recognized, only in this movie, it's Queen Amidala. She reveals her identity to the Gungan leader to form an alliance against the Federation forces. When we arrive at the difficult task, Anakin plays the role of hero again. In a four-pronged battle, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fight Lord Maul, Queen Amidala and her team fight the droids in the palace, Jar Jar and the Gungans fight a droid army in the field, and Anakin and R2 are pursued in space. The droid army is dominating Jar Jar and the ill-equipped Gungans, and our other heroes are also close to defeat, until Anakin reaches the solution. While inside the hangar of the Federation ship used by the Viceroy, Anakin with the help of R2 gains control of the fighter and shoots the reactor while aiming at some droids. He escapes just in time to watch the ship explode. The droid army collapses without the ship's control, and the Gungans are victorious. Queen Amidala and her cohorts gain control of the throne room. And the Jedis, well, at least one of them is alive. Out of the traditional order is the punishment of the villain. Lord Maul falls down a deep and seemingly bottomless pit at the hands of Obi-Wan, who has given the dying Qui-Gon his promise to train Anakin, even though it's against his better judgment. Transfiguration the hero gains a new appearance. Anakin has received his Padawan haircut, but the transformation from apprentice to Jedi is important for the helper Obi-Wan as well. Is he ready to train such a difficult case such as Anakin who has lost his mother and a father figure in such short order? The movie ends with us knowing Senator, now Chancellor Palpatine, is gaining power and all of these misgivings about Anakin cause tension that won't be resolved good thing the formula always ends in a celebratory wedding. The hero usually marries and is rewarded, typically becoming king. But in The Phantom Menace, we've been given a parade. The good guys have won, for now. However you feel about the quality of the Star Wars prequels, they clear up some loose ends and foreshadow everything to come in episodes 4 through 6. And who doesn't love seeing Samuel L. Jackson as a badass Jedi? Probably my favorite part in the prequels is seeing actors I recognize playing this iconic saga and seeing R2, 3PO, and Yoda. Clouded this boy's future is. Does playing with the familiar structure improve the plot, or does it divide one's focus? I find that having Qui-Gon, Anakin, and even Queen Amidala play roles traditionally reserved for the hero overcomplicates what could be a compelling origin story. Why mess with what the classics do best? If the goal is to get the audience on the hero's side and hold their attention, this movie spends far too long talking about trade agreements and the failed bureaucracy of the Republic. We're stuck underwater with Jar Jar when we really just want to see the Chosen One use the Force for the first time. And though Anakin's extrasensory perception is tested, nothing as epic as Vader's chokehold or Obi-Wan's mind control ever occurs. Pod racing and droid building, while impressive, just don't cut it. 
To cause further confusion, the movie is titled The Phantom Menace and not The Balance of the Force, or what should have been The Rise of Skywalker. But Palpatine doesn't get much screen time either. All of that political stuff at the beginning is an attempt to characterize Palpatine, though we don't see many of his co-conspirators or what's behind his evil ways. A good villain needs to be the antithesis of the hero, the literal darkness to his light. In A New Hope, Vader was master to Luke's inexperience, leading using cunning and skill versus following and relying on luck. Lord Maul isn't a good villain because we learn nothing about him. And if Qui-Gon is the light to Palpatine's darkness, there's no direct action between the two. Qui-Gon doesn't even sense a disturbance in the Force when Palpatine's hologram appears on the Viceroy's ship. This would hint to the strength of Qui-Gon's powers and add depth to the tragedy of his loss. Otherwise, along with his slow recognition of Anakin's abilities, he just appears inept. Maybe you have other strong opinions about Star Wars. It's certainly a franchise worthy of the mega fans who've been following it for decades. Maybe you don't like my impression of Yoda. If so, join me on my next show anyway, when I'll analyze the mythic plot structure used in Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and see if I can guide you past the controversies of this popular sequel. As always, you can comment on this episode or suggest new content on my Facebook page, Fiction Briefly. Thanks to Kestrel and Mexican Spy Company for all music and sound production for this show. Again, this has been Fiction Briefly, giving you a glimpse into the mind of an artist. Thank you for listening.